Welcome back to the Build Podcast. It's part two of our interview with the legendary Mark Wingett. Coming up, we chat about his stunning performance as Carver battled alcoholism. Mark also shares his passion of deep sea diving, but first, here's a slice of making 80s for Bill. What happened was, as the Bill became more and more popular, they had to provide us with um, somewhere to sit. So the original, you know, the Winnebago, the famous Winnebago in the... In, in, in Hollywood legend. I mean, what we got on the bill was a converted mobile library. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah with a translucent roof and no windows and a couple of sofas on it. And then, then, then the vehicles got better, so we used to spend a lot of time just, you know, sat on those vehicles, just, just chewing the fat, really, and just having a laugh. Do you remember the first time you were recognised as Jim Carver? Um, I don't, actually. I really, I really don't. I used to... I've had some funny ones. I've I've had some funny ones. I've had to, I've had somebody pull up to me next to the lights and gone, excuse me, mate, did you used to drive a GPO van? <laughs> I, I said, what? <laughs> I've had someone stop me in the street and say, excuse me, mate, were you, did you used to be my housing officer? <laughs> wow. And the last one that happened was a, just a great one. It was I went to this nightclub, and somebody somebody stopped me and said, "Excuse me," she said, um, "Were you at the Karachi Karachi Literature Festival?" <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Sort of know the face, but they don't kind of they don't yeah. quite place where I'm from, you know. Wow. In the nineties, your brother Matthew started writing for the series. Yeah, he did. He was at university and he just needed some money. So um, he, he submitted a script. He didn't want my help. So he sub, sub, submitted a script under the name of Matthew Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> which was accepted and he started writing for the book. He did a few episodes, yeah. Yeah. He gives you, in the, in the mid-90s, because by this point, Chris Ellison, Tony Scannell, Nula, John Iles, they, they've all moved on. And, and, and suddenly yeah. you're, you're in this position of of being in your early 30s, a veteran of the bill, yeah. you know. And he writes his marvellous story called Saved, and it's uh, it's Russell Bolter's first regular appearance as John Bolton. And, right, yeah. Uh, Matthew gives you wonderful dialogue. Uh, when I joined up, I thought I could help. Well, change the world, Jim. No, not exactly, but I did have a purpose, and it's gone. And what, what are your memories of that time, uh, of that era of the bill, when had you been tempted to move on, or, or were you... I mean, this time you've done it for a decade. You must have been getting other offers and interests. When you kind of on those shows, you, you kind of don't get offers because you are on that show. You know, at the back of your mind always is, is the thing: should I should I leave now? Should I should I go and do other stuff? Should I go and do it? Well, eventually I did. You know, I was in the early forties when I left the bill, mm. um, and eventually I did. But it took me that long. But uh, you know, to, to have a, a regular job and a regular income and to be London-based, you know, has its advantages. And yeah, maybe you know, there's always a thing. The grass is always greener on the other side. But actors will come in, and so it's cold out there, which is you know, which means it's not work much, not much work. So cold out there. Stay, stay, Mark, stay. <laughs> and I had a young family, and I was bringing them. You know, I was bringing up my daughter, and uh, yeah, and it's, it's you become very used to a lifestyle, and maybe I probably stayed a bit longer than I should have. But finally, I made a decision and thought well, I can't be here until you know 
until it finishes, basically. Not that I actually saw the writing on the wall because the bill finished five years after I left it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it, it, you know, all shows have a have a shelf life, and uh, I thought I can get out now and try some other stuff. Mm. I've done this show for so long. I got so tired. I got so worn out. Maybe a bit burnt out by the bill. You, you become you becoming you do become institutionalised. You know. Mm. And for weeks, months afterwards, I'd still be waking up at sort of quarter past five in the morning to get to work. Wow, right. And just going, oh, and going, oh, actually, I don't need to get up. I mean, uh, the work, I mean, it was intense work. I mean, I'm not complaining about that. That's that's what you signed up for. That's what you get paid for. But, um, you know, I'd wake up sometimes, you know, early in the morning on a day off and get dressed and realise I don't have to go into work today. Bless you. Wow. Wow. That was quite a common thing uh, amongst the actors is that you, you're so sort of used to, to doing the sort of daily kind of commute, getting in there and, and looking forward to it, of course, because it was always a laugh. There's always a laugh to be had somewhere along the line. There's always, there's always, there's always. You ask anyone in those big soaps, so there's always a feeling that so maybe they should be getting on with other stuff, you know. Mm. Well, in in 1999, they gave you such a wonderful storyline. I mean, to me, it's it's the peak of your work, and I hope you're proud of yourself for the alcoholism storyline because it is a a phenomenal performance. Thank you. Um, that was Richard Hanford. Richard Hanford. There was this, I forget the name of the particular term, but basically the Mets, in their wisdom, had decided to to change, uh, give the policemen, make them change jobs, basically, to give them an experience of the other side, basically. So, uniformed policemen were becoming CID officers, and CID officers, some of them, tenure it was called, were becoming uniformed officers. And so I got called into Richard's office and Richard said, look, Mark, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but we want to put Karma back into uniform. And Kevin had just passed away. Kevin had passed away through a very public, humiliating death. He, you know, he he, he, he died the way he did. He died of, of, of alcoholism. Um, and it was for, at the forefront of my mind. And I said to Richard, because that was the kind of freedom he had in those days, he said, well, why don't we give him a few problems? Why doesn't he cope with it? You know, he can't cope with this, with, with this thing. He's, he's lost his status. Why don't you make him a, an alcoholic? And Richard went, we can't do that. Richard shocked. He said, we can't do that because of Kevin. So we can't, we can't. I said, I'd like to do this because of Kevin, Richard. So I went away, got on my work, uh, sort of agreed to, thought, well, actually, it'd be quite interesting to go back into uniform again. Went away for a couple of weeks, continued doing my work, and then, then Richard called me and said, Mark, we decided to go with your idea. I said, well, that's great. And... Around that time, I had I had a lot of input into the content of those shows. I took writers um, out to self-help groups. Um, I had <laughs> I had one grilling by the wonderful producer Michael Simpson, who asked me exact, about the exact nature of alcoholism and addiction, and he <laughs> he had me in his office for about four hours as he was trying to understand. What we could do with this with this storyline, and I said, Michael, I said, Michael, I've never been I've never been questioned like this at all. He said, oh, Michael was really fine. This is the kind of relationship we have with producers. He said, Oh yes, but I was at Oxford University. I see. He said, I got interviewed by MI5. He said, but my interrogation techniques were so much that each of the test subjects bit their cyanide pill. <laughs> <laughs> So it was with that kind of humour, and 
you know, and that kind of that, that kind of just that that, that 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 wonderful kind of feeling that, that you had this input into the world. So, and then that storyline started again. I mean, I, I didn't write the storylines; the, the the writers wrote the storylines, but it certainly had a had a massive input into into it. And that really is that that's because of Kevin's death. And that really, in, in Australia, I think it's very strange now. It didn't feel strange at the time. That's my tribute to Kevin Kevin Lloyd. Mm. I mean, it's a very odd thing to say because it's a very dark subject. But um, certainly because of Kevin's passing is um, is why I did that and why, why we were allowed to do that. It's a heartbreaking when you're eventually brought in accused of murder and, and yeah. Tr- Trudy has to sign you in and you break down. I mean, I was crying on the train re-watching it. Then my, my wife said, <laughs> are, you, are you all right? I said, it's just, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, you do it so well. And when... You you thank Chris. I mean, a beautiful genius touch of bringing Chris Ellison back for that that storyline yeah. as well. And yeah. you say thanks for not putting the handcuffs on, and then you say sorry, Gov, as you're going into the cell, and it just gets you because this to me was like, I mean, 15 years of Bill had been on by then, but this was just beautiful television, which the later regime with the the soap approach just couldn't get anywhere near. No, they couldn't get anywhere. It's, I mean, that, that's it, it's quite interesting because I was kind of thinking, well, he's, you know, I mean, without any big, I mean, he's a, he's a nationally known character. It would be quite interesting to give him some hard times. Now, a lot of people identify with Carver, Carver because of his problems. Mm. You know, Gary Oldman's Nil by Mouth had just come out with that marvellous performance. I mean, it's a fantastic yeah, yeah. film and Ray's fantastic performance, but it's a very violent drunk. Ray's drunk in that is a very, very violent. You know, there's a lot of domestic abuse and blah, blah, blah. I thought, well, I want to do something different with this storyline. I want to make people have empathy to see why they are that way. It's not even make them feel sorry. It's just to have empathy with them. I want to put a, a gentler side, if, if there is such a thing as a gentle side to alcoholism, to this to this storyline, which I think, you know, which I think we kind of partly succeeded at. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a sublime and, you know, performance. It really and, is. you know, he's it's, it's, it's brought disaster on his own head. You know, he brings it down on himself and... I think all of us can relate to that at some point, you know, by making the wrong decisions or by doing the wrong things. And um, so there's a, there's a common thread. It's not just about an addiction. It's about circumstances and how we can mess ourselves up, you know. And also the other side of that, of course, is there's a redemption in that, you know. I mean, Carver stopped drinking. He, he, you know, <laughs> yeah, he went on to have further problems. Yeah. But by then, the, the sobrification of the thing had taken place, and that was the way it had to be. But yeah, I think that was. I think thank you. I think that was that was the best. They were my yeah. I think that's my finest moment on the bill. Actually, was that that sort of storyline. Oh yeah, I was like uh, holding it back, and my wife was like, "Are you all right?" And, <laughs> and it all came out on the train, like at King's Cross. And I said, "I said it's just it's just so moving, you know." It, well, that's it's... that's lovely. That's a, I mean, I had a, I had a great I had a great one of the greatest compliments I have ever had. Paid to me. I was on. I was on a train. Some guy came sat next to me and said, "You're you're Mark Winger, aren't you?" And I, and I said, "Yes, I am." He said, "I want to say thank you." I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "I watched your episodes of the Bill, and I stopped drinking." Wow. And I said, that, "That is." An, I don't know his name. You know. He said, "I just want to say thank you very much. You made me look at myself, which I thought was an incredibly powerful thing." Yeah. Massive. You know, which is, which is, I mean, that that is that is that is confirmation of doing something that's made a change to at least one person. You know, yeah. and that's that's what actors should do. I mean, actors should provoke thoughts; they should make people think. Which is, you know, which is I bring you back to the response, which is what this play that I've been working on 
does. It makes people think and it throws it in your face. And I think I think with Carver at that time to throw that, that, that those problems in people's faces was quite a good thing. You know, under the auspices of, of inverted commas entertainment, is to deal with quite serious issues, which is something which the bill was really good at, was to deal with some very kind of serious issues. In, in as much as you know, they, they have to censor it because it, you know, it is a television program. And we're talking about the good times in the bill, not not the latter times, which became sort of ridiculous, really. Mm. So there was there was there was always that there was always that side of the world. And the bill when it first started was actually kind of almost anti-establishment. You look at those early episodes, and there's loads of comments about the government and the way things are run. And it's you know we're struggling. We're, we're a little station in East East London, and we're struggling. And there's the National Front are coming down, and, and we, we don't have enough manpower. And, so it was kind of quite subversive. It was quite a subversive thing. Then it then it became very popular. It was almost the, the public front of the, of the police, you know. And I was discussing this thing. I mean, what is it now? Is it eight years since the bill's not? Was it finished in two thousand and ten? Yeah, yeah. It would to make a program to make a uniformed police, you know, series now would be a very different thing because there's not the amount of police stations there were. The police force has changed, you know. So it, it, the, maybe there are no Sun Hills anymore. Because it's all sort of divisional command stations, aren't there? Or or police offices, which are open part-time. And you never see a policeman, unless you're in the city of London, you never see a policeman walking the beat. It would be a very, very different show. And I think all the police reality shows that are on, which show actual footage, cover that quite well, you know. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to see what, what a modern writer or series of writers would do with, with, a, with, a, with the modern police force. They just seem, I mean, the police force just seems to be under incredible pressure, financial restraints, incredible pressure. Not enough police officers, 30,000 officers dropped. Mm. I mean, it's, it's frightening in, in, this, in this modern era of radical terrorism. It's extraordinary. It's, I, 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 can't, I can't see, well, if you get political, you, see, you start getting political about austerity and the, the, the merits or the non-merits of the complete anathema and ridiculous way to run things, you know. But to decrease the police force in this present climate is a ridiculous thing to do, in my opinion. That's my opinion, you know. But to relate it to the show, to make to make a show of that, then you would have to bring a lot of that in. I don't think a soap bill would work because of those things, because it would be a very it would be detached from reality. Yeah. And I think when the bill was good, it was seated in reality, you know. And it's those early episodes when the drama channel actually showed them were rediscovered and reappreciated by a new audience and does that please you well i'm delighted of course yeah i mean it's great i mean those those things are what for 30 odd years old now aren't yeah. they 33 years old 34 years old i mean yeah and uh you know the bill i mean without blowing its trumpet we were the first tv program to film in the east end uh, all bbc police dramas were set with studio bound we actually went out on location, you know, around Wapping, which was bomb sites, really. In the 80s, it was bomb sites before the redevelopment. Not all of it, of course. There's a thriving community there. We, we sort of pioneered the, the sort of documentary-style approach, which kind of sort of worked or didn't work. The wobble camp, as we called it, you <laughs> know, when the, when the camera's shoulder mounted. It was, it was quite a pioneering, it's quite a pioneering series, those first kind of three or four series, you know, two or three series of the bill. Mm. And then it became it became you know formulaic and a bit kind of pat. But I mean, what we said about the building it was a hundred percent on location. Even the set wasn't a studio; it was a set, yeah. and there's a subtle difference, you know, which gave which gave the production something, you know, or added to the production. And I've had the pleasure of 
interviewing Trudy, interviewing Eric and Graham and Nula, and, and you're all still so close. Yes, we are. Yeah, I've got some great friends, you know. Got some great mates. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I must ask you, because I saw a lovely pilot you made called The Wrecking Spectre. We haven't talked about your diving. So... Oh, yeah. Diving, scuba diving. Yeah, I mean, that was made a few years ago now. And uh, that, 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 we, we were given some, um, some production, some sort of development money. And, I mean, one of, one of the great things, of course, have been working on television. You have some money. And uh, my mate, um, Kelly, was trained to be a stuntman. This was back in about 84. He said, uh, do you want to come and give scuba diving a go? I said, yeah, I'd love to, Ken. So I went down to Ken. It was me and Ken. There was an actor called David John and an actor called Paul McGann. Wow. We all started scuba diving. <laughs> 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 and the first time I put this thing on my back, it was like, it was like oh, my God, this is just brilliant. So from training in a, you know, within a year of training in the pool in, in, in Labour Grove, I was diving in the Red Sea in Egypt and wow. going around the world, jumping in the water, you know, which was an extraordinary thing. And it was a perfect fall to to the bill. It was some, you know, get out to sea, get out to sea, get underwater, yeah. just escape, you know, with, again, with a group of group of fellow-minded people. And so it's an extraordinary sport. So then I developed uh, an interest in, first of all, marine photography, and in Britain, what you do is you do dive shipwrecks. There's, of course, there's, I mean, there are a million and a half shipwrecks around the coast of Britain. Wow. There's quite a few. There's quite a lot of those are inaccessible. A lot of those are nothing but uh, a lot of those are buried under under the seabed. And there's quite a few of them are exposed. I mean, within 12 miles of Dover, there's 300 wrecks, for example. Wow. On the Goodwin Sands, which is in the, which is the notorious Goodwin Sands, there's there's purportedly and I have this on good authority, 11,500 wrecks, and that's 10 miles by five. So, yeah, I mean, mind-boggling figures. Officially, it's about 4,500, but Mike Williams, who was one of the foremost kind of marine lawyers, maritime lawyers in the country, said, no, Mike, was about 11,500 on that that stretch of water. A lot of them are under the sand. A lot of them become exposed. So so I I had a marine archaeologist mate, Mike Bowyer, who was an extraordinary man. He passed away a few years ago. But uh, we decided, we went up and filmed, um, we filmed on a submarine called the H5, which had this extraordinary story. It was rammed by one of our own merchant fleets in the First World War. And we made a program about diving the H5. We were the last set of divers to be allowed to go on it before she became a protected wreck, which is an extraordinary thing. And then... I was approached by a friend who said, let's do something about the diving mark. And I got Mike involved. And they came up with uh, with basically the, the story of the, the Cape and Wick, which was this armed trawler, which one day one day the guys were fishermen, and the next day they were mine hunters and submarine kind of hunters. You know? wow. It was literally like that. They took the holds out and filled them with bombs, basically. And this armed trawler sank, sank a submarine in October 1939, a German submarine, the most you know, extraordinary story. So, yeah, so we kind of made the pilot, 20-minute pilot, and presented it to Channel 5, and they took it no further, which was a shame, mm. which was a shame, because the logistics of filming underwater, uh, new sort of safety rules, HSE had come in, it meant a whole kind of basically ramping up of... Uh, facilities and, and to make things safe. And they really couldn't have me underwater doing it because I didn't have an HSE. I mean, I could go and train and do an HSE part four or three, which is the certificate you need to become an underwater journalist. There are, there are provisos. You do get provisos. I had to go 
I got a, a proviso for a film I did a few years ago, which was just in a tank, etc., etc. So, so there were legalities around it and difficulties that that could have been surpassed with an influx of money. Mm. But the TV channel weren't prepared to do that, so they put it on ice. So it's on ice. It's not. It's not disappeared. It's on ice. Mm. So maybe. And, and funny enough, at Christmas, uh, Christmas, I, I met the guy that had originally approached me, my mate Rod. He said, "Perhaps we should have another look at this again. We've been we've been trying to promote it again, Mark. So it might happen." Yeah, I don't know in the modern era if there's that, that much interest in history. I mean, what we, what we discovered about shipwrecks is each shipwreck each shipwreck causes its own time capsule as we know from wrecks like the Mary Rose. Mm. But it's, it, it's, the human, it's the human relationships and the consequences of a ship going down, which, uh, which kind of more interests me. It's the human story. There's a wreck of Admiral Bolton's HMS Victory, the victory before Nelson's victory, which was a first-rate. I mean, it was, had 110 bronze guns on it. It was the most extraordinary thing. It's just been found off of uh, the Channel Islands by a company called Odyssey, which had 100, the top 100 aristocrat, young aristocrat men, you know, all the lords are on board, and it sank. Uh. So Britain lost its, lost its elite in one hit when that ship sank. And the, the ramifications of that, of course, would be quite big. I think it was 1752 that that ship sank. So it's before the, you know, before the, the Nelsonic Navy, before before the, the wars with the French. I mean, wars having wars, but <laughs> uh, the ramifications of that are extraordinary. You know, there was a ship called the Bronze. They called it the Bronze Bell because they found the Bronze Bell on it from 1640 or something sank off the coast of Wales and had one survivor on it. Uh, you can actually swim out to the wreck. It was just, you know, it's not that far offshore. Had one survivor who got washed ashore who was Italian, but nobody could understand him, so they took him to the priest. He could speak Latin. Wow. Yeah, so that they, they <laughs> so this guy was kind of swarthy-looking with dark hair. Now, the people in the village where the shipwreck is are now still got swarthy-looking and got dark <laughs> hair. <laughs> <laughs> Shipwrecks link, link us with, in history, but they also link us... In, in humanity and the rest of the world, of course, because there's, there's, there's shipwrecks from all around the world around our coasts. And it's, it, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary, fasc- I find it a fascinating subject, you know, is Britain's maritime history. And they're all sitting down there. And we tried different angles. Mike Carl, bless him, Mike came up with this, with this idea because of the, the fad at the time for cookery programs was to make cookery programs and to cook a meal of um, whatever particular era the shipwreck was from, was to cook a meal from that era. He found a great menu from a coastal steamer in America, which had the Christmas menu was rats in garlic. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Cockroaches, cockroaches in the half shell. Oh. Oh. What we found with a little bit more investigation was it was the cook taking the piss. It was actually rats were, rats were rabbit. <laughs> uh, uh, and cockroaches were, were kind of prawns, you know. Uh, yeah, so I could have prepared the, the real menu, and I could have prepared <laughs> the joke menu. So, so I mean, you know, so so that's ongoing. That's trying to get somebody interested in it. But uh, I took it to my my friend James, who, who's got a TV company, and he said, "Well, Mark, he said, no real, there's no market for this." He said, "But if you came up with a t- subject, you know, Winston Churchill's gay lover, we'd we'd, we'd make it." <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's about. I mean, you could you could make a suit. You could, you could do it cheaply. You know, you could you know, underwater cameras don't cost that much. You get HD mm. underwater. You could do it very cheaply, narrow casting. But I haven't got the time or the inclination to do that. 
No. I prefer to go and dive the shit wrecks myself and just have a look. You know? Yeah, yeah. If there's a market for it, it will sell. I've got to c- congratulate you as well because I mean you've done a number of you've done a number of huge movies, Far from a Madding Crowd, Mr. Turner, Snow White, The Huntsman, uh, but you're an award-winning actor thanks to A Reason to Leave. So congratulations yeah. for your win at the Milan Film Festival. So. Yeah, Milan, that was fun. Um, it's, a, it's a little film I'm very proud of. It's on at the moment. It's on Vimeo Prime. I think you can oh, cost cool. a couple of quid to have a look at it. So the reason that's been done is we we can't find a distributor that's that's coming up with a deal that will please our director at the moment. So by putting it on Vimeo Prime, Prime, he retains the rights to it until we can distribute it. Um, that's where it is. Yeah, gotcha. And Norman is now busy on another project, his next film called Encounter, um, which is very, very gratefully written apart for me in. Oh, okay. um, but if, if yeah, if you want if you want to have a look at a reason to leave, it's on Vimeo Prime. And you, I think it's three quid or something, three or four quid. Oh, terrific. I, I did it with um, Claire King, and I, I, you know I'm quite quite proud of it. It's, it's a lovely little film. We made it on a shoestring. Went out. We filmed it here. We filmed it in Italy. We did it in a month. Claire's wonderful. She's a great actress. She's 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 great. You know, and it's a it's a drama. It's um and it's just a nice nice little story. Basically, it's nothing. You know, there's no CGI. It's just a human story. Uh, it's about secrets, really, about how we how we've all got secrets, which is great. I brought the award home, and my missus said, um, "Oh, it looks a bit like a darts trophy." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my entire career of like, oh, awards don't matter. Awards yeah. don't matter. I tell you something: when you're sat in the room and you've been nominated, they matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck to Mr. Oldham with his with his Oscar. Yeah. Good yeah. luck to Gary and his Oscar. Yeah. I hope he gets it. You know, I went with Gary on stage, um, or in prehistory in the dawn of time. I just, <laughs> I, it's just great to see him up there. I hope, I really, really hope he, he wins. Yeah. Yeah, he deserved yeah. it for Tinker Taylor, so I, I hope he gets it for this. Cause, uh, yeah, sure. It's about his time, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I hope he gets it. Well, you've very generously given your time for free, and what we ask is for you to nominate a charity that listeners of this podcast can donate to. So is there something close to your heart that you'd like people to donate a couple of quid to? Well, there is. There's the, the Spitalfields Crypt Trust, which is a hostel in Shoreditch, I mean, Shoreditch is now trendy, <laughs> which takes in homeless men with alcohol problems, alcohol and abuse problems. They're basically a very small charity. They have 16 beds. They always need money. And they take, I mean, the guys sleep in the churchyard trying to get into the hostel until the bed comes free. Right. And it's, it's something which is close to my heart, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, pop, I'll pop a link on. They do some sterling work, you know. They, 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 they re- rebuild lives, people's lives, put people. I've seen some miracles happen. I, 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 I don't use that word lightly. You know, I've seen some miraculous recoveries through the work that this charity do. And what is your message to fans of the bill who will be absolutely delighted that you've done this? Oh, bless you. I mean... Thanks for watching, you know, and thanks for paying my wages for something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think just enjoy it, really. You know, it's, I, I, I still I still rue the day that it was taken off because there's no real need for it. 
we lost we lost 25% of our TV production, Britain's TV production, overnight when that show went. But uh, no, enjoy really, and, and thank you, thank you, thank you for watching, and thank you for listening to me today. Bless you. Mark Wingett, legend. Thank you so much. Uh, legend. No. <laughs> where, where are you from, Oliver? Where are you from originally? Plymouth, uh, originally. Ah, oh, Fort Bobby said, know it well for me diving. Oh, wonderful. Union Street, boobs and tubes, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few nights down there. Oh, yes. Such a legend. I am so grateful to Mark. Fantastic guy. Big thanks to Tim at Urban Associates for helping to set up that interview. Mark's nominated charity is the Spitalfields Crypt Trust, also known as SCT. They have been serving the homeless in East London for over 50 years, helping them with rehabilitation, recovery and learning new skills. You can read more and make a donation at www.sct.org.uk. Next time on The Bill Podcast, we hear about life as a semi-regular on the series. We take a tour of Sunhill at night in the company of Steve Morley, who played Sergeant Stuart Lamont between 1989 and 2001. been attacked four times because of things I did on the telly. No. Yeah. Once quite badly. I mean, stuff quite funny. I was, was in a club in Bradford, a working man's club in Bradford, and some woman came up to me. They tell me you're on the bill. And I went, yeah, well, you blink and you miss me, don't, don't worry. She said, you're a liar. And she hit me so hard across the face, she knocked me off my stool.